The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As spiritual seekers, we often receive guidance on which path to follow. This might be necessary for some time, but as we move along, we need to trust our heart and become our own guide. Welcome to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us, a place where we can listen to everyone's heart. Your companion on the journey is Jill Asselin. Come join us now on this path of inner exploration. Here is your host, Jill Asselin. Good afternoon or good evening, everyone. This is Jill again. It's Thursday afternoon for me. Welcome and thank you very much for, for listening and being here today. Bonsoir à ceux qui écoutent depuis un pays francophone. Thank you very much for joining again. I thought I would start today. I wanted to talk a little bit about sanity and the sacred feminine and how I put the two of them together. But I got a nice poem this morning um, that I wanted to start uh, today's show with. Uh, we are in the U.S., and for all those who celebrate Thanksgiving, this is the week before Thanksgiving, so it's it's a special week, uh, at least to me. And uh, it's not like we do a lot for Thanksgiving, but it's you know it's a very meaningful holiday in the U.S., and it's the only four-day weekend that we have. And so the song is called Praise Song. It's a poem, but uh, and I think we could easily re- replace the word praise by thank. So it's like a, a thank you song in a sense, a thank you poem from a woman called Barbara Crooker. Never heard of her. So it goes like this. Praise song. Praise the light of late November. The thin sunlight that goes deep in the bones. Praise the crows chattering in the oak trees. Though they are clothed in night, they do not despair. Praise what little there's left. The small boats of milkweed pods, husks, hulls, shells, the architecture of trees. Praise the meadow of dried weeds, yarrow, goldenrod, chicory, the remains of summer. Praise the blue sky that hasn't cracked yet. Praise the sun slipping down behind the beech nuts. Praise the quilt of leaves that covers the grass. Scarlet oak, sweet gum, sugar maple. Though darkness gathers, praise our crazy fallen world. It's all we have, and it's never enough. It's a very beautiful poem, especially with the last line. I mean, it made me think about so many things that happened in the past seven to eight days. And reinforces my, my desire to talk about sanity and um, somewhat difficult times for the world. Though darkness gathers, 
praise our crazy fallen world. It's all we have, and it's never enough. And what we have, I think we should be thankful for. I mean, it could be things as simple and as important as health, health, family, and friends, and companions on the path. Beautiful sunshine, a few clouds in the sky, which is the weather we have today. It's something we have to be thankful for. And it's um, very simple things, things, um, gifts of nature that we, not, we can appreciate for what they are, a gift from the Divine Mother, Divine Mother Earth. So that's what I would like you and us to, to savor, in a sense, those very simple things that uh, we have a tendency sometimes to neglect or to underlook, in a sense. There's so much beauty around us. And there's at the same time so much turmoil and so much, uh, I would use the word violence. Obviously, I needed to address this week a little bit about what happened in Paris about um, six days ago, Friday night, all the attacks on on Paris and the Parisians. And um, I don't want to say much about that. Um, I don't watch the news very much. I watched the news a little bit, I read the news a little bit on Friday, a bit on Saturday, and that was pretty much it. Uh, the media have a tendency to, as you know, the media have a tendency to, um, I would say, to gargarize us in a sense, to, to put things down our throat, saying it's good for us, it's going to cleanse our throat. But in, in, in the end, it, it makes us um, addicted. It makes us uh, indulge into the misery. I remember a colleague of mine back in 2001, uh, the day of uh, 9-11 in, in the U.S., and she said she was glued to the TV all day. And she was absorbing all the misery of the world, the U.S. world at this point. But I thought it's, it's what the media wants. You know, the more misery you feel, the more addicted you are. Obviously, the, the easier is it is to, to manipulate and communicate uh, your own agenda, if you want, if you will. So... There's a need to some extent to, to stay informed, but there's also a need to stay sane, to stay healthy, um, physically but also spiritually speaking. And I think the more, the more we get glued to our TV receptors, uh, the, more we read, the more we read newspapers, uh, especially tabloids, I mean, uh, the more difficult it becomes. So not much to say about Paris. It's a very um, tragic thing. I mean, uh, unfortunately, it happens all around the world, not only in France, but many other places. I was thinking of the plane, the Russian plane that got down in uh, Egypt a few days before. Uh, it's also very you know, tragic and, and senseless. I think it's our rational mind would like to make sense of what happens. And... Um, and it does. It doesn't. I mean, sorry. It doesn't. It cannot make sense of what goes on, especially in, in uh, facing such extreme uh, terror, extreme violence from people who I don't know if they have minds. I don't know if they have hearts. They seem to be also very much uh, manipulated for the sake of I don't know what cause, but uh, not a very healthy one. And I was, I was reading earlier this week, I think I came one very interesting uh, interpretation about these attacks in Paris, uh, coming from a, a friend or a colleague of mine in, uh, on the East Coast. She, she has a blog and she writes pretty uh, generously about 
what goes on and um, in the spiritual world. And it's interesting, she made a connection between uh, the Templars, the French Templars, that more or less got wiped out in, in the year 1307. And um, especially one night, apparently, I haven't read much about exactly what happened, but I know that the, the Templars, the French Templars, were chased, uh, caught and massacred uh, by the French armies, the French king in the year, uh, early 14th century. And eventually, I think the last one, I think, if I'm not mistaken, his name is Jacques de Molay, was burned alive in 1314. And an article or post was stressing the fact that, um, in a sense, what happened in Paris uh, six days ago is, a, is sort of a replica of what happened to the Templars on a, on a Friday the 13th in October of 1307. And apparently, um, at the time, the, the reason why the French wanted, I mean, there was many reasons, political reasons why the, the French government wanted to get rid of the Templars, but they went after the Templars because of what they call fractional banking, which is a, a ripoff, a way for the banks to make money out of their loans. And so the Templars were accused of fractional banking. And it looks like, from what the uh, article said, the French government also char uh, filed uh, charges against Rothschild for fractional banking on Friday the 13th, 2015. And, you know, it's so interesting. The, you can call this a coincidence. You can and you cannot. I mean, it's really... I'm not her to tell you really why, why things happen in Paris and other places in the world you know, in the past month or two. But um, I thought I'd bring that up because it's, um, it's very intriguing, you know, the way the, way the world works on so many different levels, uh, that we, so many different planes that we don't, can't even understand. And um, you know, why would the Templars be connected to Islamists, to extremists, um, Seven and eight years later, it doesn't seem to make any kind of rational sense, and yet. So that's pretty much all I want to say about France and the tourist attacks. Um, I was born and raised about three miles south of Paris, so I know Paris fairly well. I worked in Paris before coming to the US. There's about 20 districts in Paris, and the ones where the attack at the restaurants and the concert hall we're in the 10th and 11th districts, so like in the eastern side of Paris, somewhere, somehow eastern. And it's not a place that I used to go very regularly. I'm rather uh, in the south of Paris since I was living in the south of Paris. But I can relate to what goes on and the, the fear also that is um, spreading. Obviously, there's always a, a fear that something else will happen with... Uh, so many uh, extremists infiltrating Europe, from what I read, from what I uh, understand. So it's a, it's a difficult situation for, for France, a difficult situation for the world and for many other places that have been, again, neglected in the, in the news, in the media. And I would, in a sense, uh, pay homage to them that uh, there's many people suffering, many women and men suffering around the world for many different kind of reasons. And... Um, Again, like Barbara Crooker said, it's a fallen world. And um, it's all we have. And it's all we have. And I think the, the reason we're here today in this 21st century is to make this world a better place. 
And even though some people work against that purpose, I think there's always ways and reasons to be hopeful. Uh, that's really my message for the day and at the time of Thanksgiving. Even we can't really be thankful for what happened in terms of violence and, and suicide bombers and all these uh, damaging things to the world. You know, we can still be thankful for the simple things that I mentioned at the very beginning. Uh, these, are, these are not a given. They could also disappear. We never know. You know, dinosaurs disappeared some 60 million years ago. Something must have happened that the scientists can't quite explain. And so let's be hopeful. Let's celebrate and let's, let's be grateful for what we have. And I was, you know, it's very interesting. I always look for signs and insights uh, during the, the few days before the show. And then this time I really wanted to, to make a connection between this, this sanity thing. And initially I wanted to, to call the, to title the show Rooting Out Evil for the Sacred Feminine. And I was looking for a connection between, uh, between what goes on in the world, between restor restoring our sanity and the Sacred Feminine because it's uh, the way I see myself going in the next few weeks, in the next few months, um, spending more time pondering the, the sacred feminine and what it could bring us back. And I, I, I deeply believe it would bring us back a sense of sanity, a sense of balance. Last week I was talking more about the balancing of the masculine and the feminine. But I think there's a, there's a clear imbalance between at the moment and the past few centuries between the feminine and the masculine. And it's been a world dominated by the masculine for such a long time that maybe we, we are not even aware of the power of the feminine. Again, again, I'm not talking about the power of woman. I'm talking about the power of the feminine, the power of relationship, the power of cooperation, the power of um, not always doing something, taking time for ourselves, reflecting, spelunking, I guess. It's, it's, all of this is more of a as more of a feminine touch, a feminine sense, a feminine way of expressing ourselves. It's not a, an agenda-driven or a clock-driven um, calendar, in a sense. And um, that's why I wanted to make a connection between those two, because I, I could sense there was um, something to me there. But when I created this, this show, I have to write a little paragraph every every week for the network, uh, I didn't know how to put the two and two together. And something very beautiful happened that I will explain to you in the next segment um, that allowed me to see the sacred feminine um, in the restoration of, the san of, of our sanity. And it happened for a cartoon that I watched um, first Saturday evening and then Monday evening. And on Monday evening, uh, the light came through, in a sense, and the light came through my ears. Uh, because on, um, it was very interesting, but um, Sunday evening, when I watched the show, a cartoon with my family, the sun was very, you know, weak to me. I had some, uh, some sort of a hearing loss, and I couldn't make much sense about what was going on, for whatever reason. Maybe I wasn't attuned to uh, the whole thing because I couldn't hear properly. And Monday night, we used closed captioning. And suddenly, you know, my world was alive. It's amazing how much of a difference, you know, hearing can make or seeing the words on the screen. 
and um, suddenly it gave me a very different taste. And I could see that in, a, in the space, in the span of um, two days from um, Saturday till Monday evening, things changed drastically. I, I was able to see in a sense. And I was thinking about this metaphor, this image of a veil being removed. And that's what happened. We can see things with a new consciousness. And I think that's what really matters on the, on the path. That's the kind of, of goal we should have, the kind of um, walking purpose that we move forward, we move downward in terms of getting deeper every time. But we try to increase our, our awareness, our, our consciousness of, of who we are. I think that's really the point. We see that we are uh, deep down inside at the deepest level. I still don't know. So that's really a question I keep asking myself. And why are we here? There may be some sort of a, you could call it a karmic reason. You can call it a cosmic reason, but um, I think again it's not a it's not a question of accident. And sometimes, again, you have insights or people showing up on your path, and they show you the way. You're you're unsure about what direction to take, and suddenly because of something happening and one person leading you to something else, then you start um, having a sense of uh, where you should be heading. And I think that's the beauty of the path. That's the beauty of, of trusting the path. I was talking to a friend yesterday on Skype. And that's how I was saying, you know, I don't know where I'm going with this show. I don't know where I'm going in concrete details with my life. But there's a sense somehow that I'm going somewhere. And I think I, I explained to him, you know, the concept of uh, what I call spiritual confidence or trust or whatever you call it, or faith or belief. It doesn't really matter the kind of concept you, the kind of words you put behind a concept, but it's a, it's a force within. It's it's something that makes you go in a sense, that makes you move, that makes you walk, and I think that's the kind of thing we need to to nurture. Um, however you want or we want to nurture it, it doesn't really matter. It could be very different kinds of practices and volunteer work or whatever doing something good, I guess. Uh, it's a way to tend to our, our garden. And it's uh, something I would definitely encourage um, all of you to do. I'm sure you're doing it already, but there's so many um, ways to do it, even in our own quiet and meditation time. So thank you very much. I will see you soon. our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events and short features. High definition, premier quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Jill Asselin. To reach the program, call in to one 866 Four seven two five seven nine five. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine five. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now back to the program. Hello again. This is Jill. Thank you very much for listening and being here today. I truly appreciate. I was talking right before the break about um, what I will call now a change of heart. I was talking about being hopeful. I was talking also about being grateful. And we have clear examples in the world that you know, show us the power, of, the power of change, the power of change for the better, the power of love in a sense, the power of the heart, which I would call also the power of the sacred feminine. And to get back to the... Um, the cartoon or the, the the movie that we were watching at home last weekend, it's um, it's despicable. The very first Minion movie, which um, which was filmed, I think, in 2010. I didn't know there were like two Minion movies, um, 2010, 2013, before the one that came out in July this year. It's a it's a favorite of our son, so that's one of the reasons we watched the movie. It was even. Uh, a minion for Halloween. It was a difficult soul-searching experience to find the right costume. Initially, he wanted to be Darth Vader. And I thought to myself, maybe it's not the idea. You know, I'm talking about sanity. <laughs> I'm talking about spelunking. I'm talking about a better world. And um, Darth Vader showed up, maybe for a good cause. But eventually, he was a minion, a very cute uh, costume, blue and yellow with a pair of goggles and a little cap. And so we watched the movie, and it's a story. You may know the movie if you watched it. Uh, the story of Dr. Gru, who is a, a villain. I think I would say I would call him, the way he works, a sort of an antiquated uh, villain. Uh, not very up-to-date, so It's especially in terms of technology. Um, he goes to see a banker in the Bank of Evil, and the guy said, you know, I want results. Prove me that you can do this and this and that before I loan you some money. And so he, he goes on to, um, to look for something called a shrinker, a shrinkery. And um, what goes along the way is uh, the story of three little girls that are living in an orphanage. And eventually he decides to, uh, it's very transactional, but he decides to, uh, they are three sisters apparently, so he decides to adopt them. And the reason why is 
is kind of competing against another villain that doesn't look very villain either. It looks like a very um, nutty boy, nutty guy, very young, called, he used to be called Victor, and then he's called Vector now. And he lives in some kind of a fortress, which is hardly accessible. It's very tech-oriented. And uh, Dr. Gru tried to get in, and he couldn't. And suddenly he saw these three girls, these three orphaned uh, girls, selling uh, Girl Scouts cookies and asking the vector guy in his fortress, does he want to buy cookies? And of course he loves cookies, so he let them in. He let them in, and uh, I think he placed an order for an additional or two additional batches of cookies. And they're supposed to come back. And so in between, Dr. Gru is single. He works with uh, some kind of a scientist that builds robots and rockets and, and many kinds of things. And uh, he decides to adopt these three girls. And they are very young, you know, the one, the, there's one called uh, Edith, one called Margot, and maybe I don't know about the other one, Agnes. And they are obviously, um, there's no twins, I mean, they are three different ages. And they are very cute. And he tends to be very distant, you know, from these girls at the beginning. He's supposed to be a dentist. That's uh, the kind of profession he used to, to lure the orphanage woman and to convince her to, um, to adopt these three girls. And you know, as the show goes, you see him getting closer and closer to these three girls. At some point, they got to an amusement park. It's also a very funny scene. He has to blow up uh, a booth. The guy wasn't very nice and cheated on the girls. And in the end, he didn't get any prize. So then Dr. Gru turns around and shoots at the booth and destroys the booth, obviously. And um, coming back home, you can see that he has a change. He has a change of heart. He has a change of face. He has a painted face. He's turning back into his own child, his own inner child. And then the show goes on. And then every night when they go to bed, the girls are asking for a story. And initially, there's no story. Dr. Guru doesn't want to read them a story. And after this change of heart that I mentioned, in a sense, his heart melts. And he becomes closer and closer to the, to the girls. And they have a dance recital that he misses because he goes on to capture the moon and shrink the moon to the size of a baseball and then brings it back to Earth. And he gets a little late uh, for the show. And by the time he gets back to the concert hall, uh, the vector, the other villain, has taken the girls back into his fortress. So he has to rescue the girls. And again, um, what he's really telling, and what I could finally understand and hear and read on the screen, is how his, how his heart changed, how his heart turned inside out, in a sense. At the very beginning, he was all into you know, seizing power, uh, getting attention, being the most masterful and powerful man on earth, being able to steal the moon. Who can do that? Not that many folks. And in the end, after the book goes back to normal, it goes back home. And... Um, he has written his own bedside storybook. And that's his own story about his own change of heart and how his heart melted 
and how he's finally able to give a kiss to each of these girls when they go to bed at night, something he, re he refused to do all along. And then after that, you see all the minions outside the bedroom lining up because they all want to receive a kiss. And it shows to me, it's a very beautiful example of, of course, I'm paraphrasing and I can't, you know, just talking about it, I can't tell about the beauty, uh, the beauty of this cartoon when you look between the lines at what happens. But um, it shows that things can be turned around. And this is really my, it, it echoes my, my message of hope that I was telling you, that even in the darkest hour, even in the darkest heart, there's always a spark, there's always a glimmer of something that shines. You can call it love, you can call it whatever you want, beauty, illumination. I heard a quote sometimes that even the greatest villain, with uh, Dr. Gru is not even close to that level, but even the greatest villain loves his family. And that's very true. There's a place for every person in every person's heart for something called heart, love, something called compassion, something called attention. We can't live without that. And I'm sure that all those who commits uh, who commit acts of violence and terrorism around the world, they are the same. They have a heart. They may have put it under the cover. They may have tried to deny their feelings but obviously they do they do have feelings and these feelings are to surface or resurface at some point maybe not in this life especially if they commit suicide to kill other people but i'm sure there can be a change it's um it's what i want to believe because i can see it around me as well i mentioned some healing in my brother at a very different level but yet I think the world is the world is melting its heart in a sense. And there's many, many reasons for hope, many reasons for having a better day in a sense, having a a clear a clear area of blue sky when you look up, even if it's all dark during the day. And um, it's interesting that I'm saying this because in the meantime, also about two days ago, again, uh, I watch TV very rarely and I happened to, it was about 10 o'clock at night. I happened to go down and enjoy my wife who was watching TV and she was watching a, a documentary about um, a guy, an Afghani guy, a journalist. It was on PBS, so usually a fairly um, well-informed channel. An Afghani guy, a journalist that traveled to Eastern Afghanistan and did um, a film, a movie, and interviews about uh, ISIS, you know, these um, extreme, uh, again, extreme uh, warriors, and show their lives and their training and their conditioning of children. So they teach children about war. How to handle, how to hand, how to hold a gun. Sorry, how to hold and and use a gun, hand grenade. And there were some very young, fairly young men teaching children of of fairly young ages. I think the youngest one lining up could have been maybe four, or five, or six, up to fifteen, sixteen. 
And I was thinking about these young souls. Some of them maybe already, you know, departed since uh, the person filmed the movie. And I was wondering, how can you, spiritually speaking, how can you end up living such a life when in a sense your life doesn't belong to you? From such a young age, you are being conditioned, you are being formatted, you are being brainwashed into uh, a different form of existence, I would call it. A different form of existence that includes, uh, involves a killing. They are, the guy also filmed very two young suicide bombers. Those kids were 13 and 17. And they were asking them about, about their training. How did they train to become suicide bombers? And only the 17-year-old was responding. The 13-year-old was there with his Kalashnikov, but didn't say a word. And um, after I watched the documentary, I came back you know, up where my altar is. And I sent some, you know, some energy, some positive energy to these young souls. And I was asking myself again, what is this kind of a mission at work here in these young souls? How is this possible that in a sense you blindly devoting your life to um, such a cause? A cause which is a very dark cause. And what do these kids have to accomplish on the spiritual plane? You know, this... This was very sad, obviously. Very, it bothered me, but at the same time, I was trying to, to see this with a different perspective, more of a spiritual. I can't explain it. I can't do anything about it, physically speaking. I can't travel to Afghanistan and convert these, these ISIS or Taliban leaders. They also saw some Taliban leaders. Um, and interestingly, something I didn't know, apparently ISIS and the Taliban are fighting. And ISIS is getting stronger and ISIS is killing the Taliban's because they want to demonstrate to the Taliban's that they are in charge. And so there's war giving, you know, war going on between the Taliban's and ISIS. And um, I thought to myself, this is also insane. You know, apparently they are the same enemy. The West is their enemy. Uh, they want to eradicate or convert the infidels. And yet, the first thing they do, they kill each other, uh, brothers and possibly sisters. And um, for the sake of spreading uh, the law, spreading the Sharia around the world. But, you know, I was asking about this question about you know, what lesson is there to be learned? Because apparently we come to earth in this physical body that is ours, is this temple, that's what I call the temple. We come here to accomplish something. And I was really wondering, um, what is it that we are accomplishing when we do this kind of work? When we are, in a sense, still very innocent, you know, at the age of 6, 10, 12. If war is the only thing you've known, you know, how kind of a worldview, what kind of a world you can you have? It's even pass, impossible to, to get out of it. You are the mercy, and these are very poor villages, so the kids are the mercy of the people training them. And um, again, instead of condemning something which is condemnable, I would try to ask questions to the universe and try to, to bring some solace to these souls, because I don't think they're going to stay a very, very long time on Earth, unfortunately when you know, every child 
has so much to offer. And um, that's where my thoughts, two days ago, it's very, again, very unusual for me to be able to, to watch something on TV that late. And uh, there's a reason why, you know, I'm talking about the sanity of the world. I'm talking about a world that has fallen down. And I watched this uh, documentary on PBS. So it's something I wanted to share with you. Um, maybe some of you have watched it as well in the US. I'm sure it's available on, um, on the internet. But uh, again, I'm not acting from a position of helplessness. I'm, I'm, I'm acting from a, a position of, of questioning, of questioning you know, how this can be possible for, for a better world. How can we t what can we turn around within? What kind of a change of heart can we induce in these people? And I'm sure it's possible to do something from a distance. When I was a Buddhist for about 15 years, we had some chanting sessions. I remember a chanting session on the night of 9-11 in 2001. Um, we had an impromptu, of course, an impromptu chanting session at a person's home. And I was the one leading the session, the chanting session. We were chanting Namyo Renge Kyo continuously for for the world, for peace. And when I got there, there was a little sign next to the altar. And the sign read, uh, no more war. And the first thing I did, I took the sign, I turned it around and I wrote the word peace. And I showed the word peace for all of us to be able to see. Because it's not a question of not wanting the war, it's wanting peace. It's wanting something positive instead of negating something um, negative. You know, if something is positive, why not say it so? Instead of negating a negative. That's my, my stance, my positioning, and I think it's a very strong one. And I'm glad that the title of the show changed, you know, from about five, six days ago, I would, talk, I would have talked about rooting out evil. And now I'm much more inclined to talk about um, sanity and restoring um, sanity to the world, to the human heart, for, again, a change of heart. So, again, I believe that these things are possible. And these things had to happen. Um, again, I can't explain rationally why these attacks around the world, these terrorist attacks, I mean, there's some logic and then a lot of that we can't explain. Some logic in terms of you know, wanting to concur and impose one's laws. But there's something else at work. That is something that the, the earth needs to go through. Maybe it's a cleansing cycle. I don't know. So I wanted to leave you with those last thoughts before the last break. And I will um, see you soon. I want to talk a little bit more about what I call self-righteousness. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Could you be the next legendary leader? That question hinges on your courage and willingness to change. Join Maria Danley every week for Legendary Leaders Answering the Higher Calling. Be inspired by stories and legend and listen to legendary guests along with live channeling to help you answer your higher calling and become the legendary leader you are destined to be. The world is waiting for you. Step up and join the wave. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. are listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Jeel Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Hello again, this is Jill. Thank you very much for listening today, the week before Thanksgiving in the U.S. I was talking right before the break about um, the change of heart that Dr. Gru went through, a beautiful change of heart from apparently a very cold villain to a very loving um, father, adoptive father. And um, saying again that we need to be hopeful despite what goes on in the world, despite all those terrorist acts, acts of violence against humanity. But I think there's a way, there's a way for, for Earth, for planet Earth, for humanity to reach a, a higher level of vibration. And there are so many people around the world that are doing, you know, making efforts uh, towards that goal. So many of you are doing this. And at the same time as, you know, talking about sanity or the opposite of insanity, at the personal level, there's so much going on unconsciously sometimes. You know, we do things and we just want to impose our own way, sometimes with very good intentions. I do this. I used to do that. I think it's a lesson I learned from my wife, um, especially when I'm cooking uh, and our son is watching TV, a son again on TV and cartoons again. And... Um, Julie wants to finish his episode, which is understandable. When I'm, but when I'm cooking, I have a feeling that I'm in charge. So when I f- say the food is ready, it's like everybody out to come. Everybody out, list, out to listen to the cook. And a, a, a few weeks back, you know, I was in a position of trying to impose my own will in a sense. It's not a terrorist act, but it is a... Again, it's imposing someone's uh, will, someone's decision upon other people, possibly against their will, most likely against their will. And my son wasn't happy once when I did that, and my wife wasn't happy either. 
And in the end, we, you know, we reach a consensus that I will manage to build in five more minutes into my dish, into my cooking, and that our son will be happy finishing his episode and making sure he doesn't watch a new one because he's a good at that. He said, just one more, just one more. What I wanted to say also, again, in terms of imposing one's, one's views is that we have a tendency towards self-righteousness. And that could, you know, be the case at very many different levels in society, from the extremists, from the governments that impose their laws. Some, some laws may, deem, may be deemed very unfair to our own family and to our, the way we make decisions about our own lives. And, um, and I was reading a quote yesterday morning. I came across a quote by Jiddu Krishnamurti, which was, a, was a, an Indian sage. I believe uh, I, I quoted him in the, in the announcement of the show. But he said something very deep. You now, when we look at what divides us, you know, what, what looking at our own ways, of, our own ways of being, our own ways of doing things, and if we do that, we have a tendency to negate everybody else. You know, if we put all the focus on France, when so many other people around the world are suffering, you know, why only the French? It's a very tragic situation, but they are not the only ones. And just because of media attention, again, that's where our attention is focused, but it's not the only area in the world that is suffering. So what, that's what Krishnamurti had to say more than a century ago, perhaps. I think he lived in the 19th century. When you call yourself an Indian or a Muslim or a Christian or a European or anything else, you are being violent. Do you see why it is violent? Because you are separating yourself from the rest of mankind. When you separate yourself by belief, by nationality, by tradition, it breeds violence. So a man who is seeking to understand violence does not belong to any country, to any religion, to any political party or partial system. He is concerned with the total understanding of mankind. And that's what I felt, you know, about what is going on. There's mankind, there's humanity suffering as a whole sometimes more in some places than others, sometimes also because of the imbalance of power around the world. There are some areas in, I can think of Africa, we are so, you know, poor. And sometimes Afghanistan also comes to mind, we breeds violence because of a lack of resources. But the idea is that we tend to focus, again, in my own example, on I'm the one cooking, I'm the one in charge. I'm the one who is allowed to impose my, my way, my will. And why would it be so? And I think it's a, it's a kind of um, thinking we all need to, to undertake, in a sense, to, to reflect about what we do, in a sense, or who we are that excludes others. I think Krishnamurti is, very, is talking about a very high level of being, a very high level of beingness when we are more concerned with the total understanding of mankind, which is not an easy thing to do, especially when we are afflicted, we are torn by some issues affecting ourselves, our families. We have a tendency to shrink into our, like a snail, to shrink into our shell and only to think about our own world. And that's what I call, and that's what I described briefly in the, 
in the in the briefing about the show, in the small blurb about the show, we have a tendency towards self-centeredness, a tendency towards self-righteousness. I had I came across two examples came to mind. Um, two of them, one religious, one I don't know what it was. A, a woman who came to my blog not so long ago, and she obviously had a, a blog name, so I checked her a blog site. And she's supposed to be some kind of a charismatic, not a minister, but um, evangelical person. And she happens at the same time to have a nice body. And there was a section about her where she showed her body. In, in she was wearing uh, bikinis or sports outfit. Uh, she was, you know, properly dressed. But it was all about her body. And I thought to myself, you know, how useful is this information, these pictures, even though they are very nice pictures of a person having a nice body, how useful are they to the people who come visit your blog and perhaps hoping to get some insights about the kind of work you do? And she may have been a bodybuilder in the past, but um, I was thinking to myself, you know, if we are so much centered in who we are, physically speaking or professionally speaking or even spiritually speaking, if we consider ourselves a guru. Just by saying we're a guru, we exclude anybody else. Maybe not other gurus, but we exclude tons of people. And I was asking why to myself. Again, it's part of my, of my spelunking and I you know, come across such sites on a, on a regular basis. And another example, this one religious, um, that took place um, when I was a Buddhist practicing in New York City. I mean, I wasn't living in New York, but this one really took place in New York City. And there was a leader, a Buddhist leader, a white American male, um, who was making fun of the Pope at the time, John Paul II. Because John Paul II was in uh, New York City visiting, I don't know what it was, it might have been about 15 years ago, uh, maybe 97 or 98. And he, had, he was in Yonkers, to be uh, precise. And he had very bad weather. It was pouring, you know. And the, the Buddhist leader was saying more or less that, you know, when we do things, our own activities, we always, have good, we always have good weather. And if the weather is bad, we can turn it around to show the power of our practice. And maybe this happened, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But what really matters is that then the people in the room, they were quite a, a big crowd. They go home and they chant in front of their altar, trying to get their own Buddha nature out. And unconsciously, they have the feeling or the belief that their religion is superior to others. And this is not going to work to make our place a better world. You know, acts of violence are not going to work, but this is a very small act of violence, the one I mentioned about the Buddhist leader, uh, making fun of the Pope. But um, this is not going to help us towards uh, the concern with the total understanding of mankind. This is not going to make you know, this world a better place for sure. And again, in our own lives, in our personal lives, there are small things like this or bigger things that we do, that we think, uh, that we are, that simply exclude others or impose you know, our will, our so-called expertise, our competence upon, upon others. You know, I impose my cooking uh, 
expertise upon uh, my family. And I think that's why it's important to reflect and to take into consideration the feedback from other people because it's, um, it's fairly real. And um, it's the way it is. It takes a lot, of, um, a lot of awareness, a lot of consciousness to get to the level that Krishnamurti uh, describes, this level of being concerned for the whole of mankind, for the whole of humanity, and not being restricted in terms of the barriers we build in our brain, the barriers in terms of race, in terms of nationality, in terms of customs, in terms of traditions. And to, to end today's show, and before I wish a happy Thanksgiving to all of you, all of us who are celebrating around the world, I'm sure there's many Americans also around the world who celebrate, and I think it's, even though you may not be eating turkey, I think it's... Uh, it's a good idea to be thankful on Thanksgiving Day, next Thursday, but also every day of the week, every day of the month, every day of the year. I wanted to finish by reading uh, and sharing what I shared um, in the past, I think in May, uh, something called the Great Invocation, because the very last uh, paragraph um, has a lot of meaning to me. So the Great Invocation reads as follows. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into our minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into our hearts. May love increase on earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide our wills the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center, which we call humanity, let the plan of love and like work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. I would like to say one more time this paragraph. From the center, which we call humanity, mankind, let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. This is my most sincere wish for humanity. May it seal the door where evil dwells. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful week and um, happy grateful day and Thanksgiving to you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your personal journey, assisted by your guide and companion, Giel Asselin, will continue next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be sure to tune in again.